Thanks for joining us for today's message. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working through this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God has worked in your life, then let us know by sending us an email to mystory@timberlakechurch.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by giving online at timberlakechurch.com give. Enjoy the message. Well, it is good to see everybody. Always fun to be with the Timberlake crew. Are we awake today? That wasn't convincing. Fourth of July weekend has taken its toll. Well, we are going to jump right in today. And a few weeks ago, we kicked off this series on courage. Just as a reminder, courage is not the absence of fear. And it's not the opposite of fear. Courage is the willingness to walk into our fears. And that's a super important concept for us to try and wrap our minds around because we will be crazy discouraged and we will feel incredibly defeated if we think we can go through life overcoming fear all the time. Most of the fears we encounter in life are not things that we're going to overcome and so we need to learn how to walk through them. One of the earliest memories for me having to confront my fears was something I was actually forced to do. Uh, I was a junior in high school, went to prom with this girl. My dad gave me strict instructions. You have that young lady home by 11 p.m. He didn't tell me what time to be home, but he said, you have that young lady home by 11 p.m. Apparently, he didn't trust me or my motives. And so uh, I showed up to my house maybe 11.45, midnight, and my dad was waiting up. And I said, hey, dad. He said, hey, son, what time did you have the young girl home? Uh, about 11.30. He said, that's what I thought. He said, tomorrow you need to go find her dad at his place of employment. And he was working on Saturdays. Uh, he said, you need to find uh, him at his place of employment and you need to apologize for having his daughter home at what I consider as your father to be an inappropriate time. Now, the rest of us are like, your dad's crazy right? Who does that on prom night? But apparently he did. So the next day I did, I went to her dad's work. I was so scared. I was just shaking. And I said, hey, can I talk to you for a few minutes? And he said, hey, absolutely. I said, I'm so sorry. It was not being a gentleman to drop your daughter off as late as I dropped her off. I just would like you to forgive me. He said, Dave, I expected that. He said, of all the young men that I know in this world, I can't think of a better young man to be dating my daughter. No, he didn't actually say that, but that would have been nice to hear that. I was scared. I was scared, but he was super forgiving, and yet it was a lot of tension. All of life is rooted in fear at some level. We know this. Just looking around, tobacco companies are required by law to create ads that scare us at some level, right? Books like The end of America use fear to create panic and uncertainty and convey political messages. Religion regularly uses fear to motivate people to put their faith in God. And so we have billboards that talk about the coming judgment and our need for repentance. Movies use fear to sell tickets and create buzz. Anybody remember Jaws from back in the day? I mean, of course we all do. Life is filled with fear. And so we need to learn how to confront our fears and walk into them. Now, the topic we're going to tackle today, as you can imagine, because of the topic, is rooted in fear. But on the surface, it's a topic that seems rooted in emotion. 
rooted in anger, rooted in frustration, rooted in embarrassment, rooted in bitterness. But deep down, it's rooted in something more than that. And so if you want to follow along, you can take out your outline, which is inside your program. I know that maybe a quick glance of this will get you a little bit nervous because there are a lot of fill-ins and it may be like, what time are you getting out of here on 4th of July weekend? And I promise you, we will not go more than two hours today. We will keep you on time. So here's the deal. This word forgiveness has a tendency, as you know, to surface all types of emotions. Doesn't matter what your background is, doesn't matter what your career is, doesn't matter where you're at in your spiritual journey. Every single one of us have a story of pain and we have a story of embarrassment and we have a story of hurt that has marked our life in some way. And of course, those experiences aren't unique to us. From the beginning of time, hurting people have found ways to hurt other people. From the beginning of time, people have been offended and embarrassed and damaged by the words and actions of other people. In fact, most of the narratives and most of the stories that we read in the Bible aren't stories of people going around blessing others. They're not stories of giants of faith who just pray whenever there's a crisis. No, most of the stories we read are about hurting people who find ways to hurt other people. In fact, one of the first stories that we read in the Bible is about a guy by the name of Cain who out of anger and out of jealousy kills his, or Abel, who kills his brother uh, uh, Cain. I'm sorry, the other way around. Dave, get your Bible stories together, right? Cain killed Abel. A few chapters later, we read about Noah, one of the most honorable people who ever lived. And he ends up drinking too much and he gets drunk and he passes out naked in his tent. His children walk in on him and find him. They're completely embarrassed and humiliated. Now this is something we'd expect to see at a NASCAR event, but not something we'd expect to read in the Bible. As a child, there were never any Christian coloring books that conveyed this story. It's an embarrassment. Several chapters later, we read it about a guy named Lot and he gets drunk. And in his drunkenness, he impregnates his own daughters. Talk about an awkward Father's Day. A few chapters after that, we read about Joseph being sold by his brothers into slavery. So from the beginning of time, humans have experienced this hurt and this resentment and this bitterness and embarrassment. And when we're on the receiving end of those emotions and those actions, there is something in all of us that wants to retaliate. There's something in all of us that wants to get even. I think that's the reason we resonate so much with people like Carrie Underwood when she sings songs like Before He Cheats. Right? It's a song about retribution on this guy's souped up vehicle. She's scratching his paint job. She's slashing his leather seats. She's smashing in his headlights. And the whole goal is that maybe next time he'll think before he cheats. So whether it's a song or a movie or the theme of some book, we are constantly bombarded with this idea that if we want to find true release and true freedom from the pain, from the hurt, from the bitterness, from the embarrassment that we have experienced, the best way to do it is retaliation. It's to get even. And of course, that's a lie. The great church leader, the apostle Paul, 
He writes a letter in the first century to followers of Jesus living in Corinth. And in his letter, he actually references an individual in the church who has hurt many of the members. We don't know exactly what he's done, but obviously he's caused a lot of hurt and a lot of pain. And he says to his readers, this this church in Corinth, he says, you need to learn to move on. You need to let it go. Now, I don't think it's a stretch to say just like every other situation in life that involves pain or hurt or embarrassment, when Paul writes those words, the audience gets charged. They, They want to react. There's a lot of emotion. There's unanswered questions in his statement. But Paul challenges readers to forgive, not because the guy deserves it, not because it's just the good thing to do. He says you need to forgive because bitterness and resentment are the ways that Satan often gets a hold of our heart. And then later on in in his writing, he, he writes this. He says, don't think I'm carrying around a list of personal grudges. The fact is that I'm joining all in, uh, joining in with your forgiveness as Christ is with us, guiding us. After all, we don't want to unwillingly give Satan an opening for yet more mischief. We're not oblivious to his sly ways. Paul says Satan is very sly with getting us to think that our anger and our bitterness hurts another person. Now that's true at some level. But the person most hurt and most affected by bitterness is ourselves. Because we become trapped carrying around burdens we should never have to carry. Years ago, I had a guy working for me that I honestly really, really liked. He was a good dude. But we had some tension in our working relationship with the different expectations. And there came a moment where he just felt like the best thing for me to do is resign. I tried to talk him out of it, but he still resigned. And so uh, he went on his way. But in the process, his wife became extremely bitter at me. And she went through all the expected ways of dealing with it, defriending on social media, hiding on social media, uh, saying things about me. And it was hurtful. I'm not going to pretend it. It wasn't. It was hurtful. And then over the last couple of years, I've been in different environments where I've seen her and I've tried to walk up to her and engage her in conversation. She just walks away and, and moves on. And I can't help but think if she could literally get into my heart and know that I have no ill will toward him. I have no ill will towards wife. Maybe it would free her. But there's something in her that has become so bitter toward me. I just want to say you're carrying a burden you shouldn't have to carry. Now, before I launch into the heart of this talk, it's important for me to say that if you are regularly being hurt and offended by other people, like if this seems to happen on a daily uh, basis or maybe every couple days you're just beaten down by other people, most likely, you do not need to learn how to forgive. Okay, most likely, you just need to grow thicker skin. Okay? And it's important for us to hear this. Because sometimes when people say something bad about us, you know, in a, in a comment or something gets back to us, sometimes people will drop the ball or maybe they won't call when we think they should call. It's very easy to get worked up and to become very, very angry at them. The truth is in most of those instances, right? Somebody breaks something of ours, but unintentionally, in most of those instances, we just need to grow thicker skin. We need to learn how to look at it, move past it and say, hey, I'm not gonna let this beat me down. Proverbs 19 says this, sensible people control their temper. temper. They earn respect by overlooking wrongs. I had an employee just a couple months ago 
order about $1,000 worth of programs that we hand out at the church. And she accidentally ordered uh, these programs using the first draft uh, that she was sent. And usually we go through seven, eight, or nine different drafts. So she ordered the first draft. So we get this thing, and it is literally messed up. And she's so apologetic. She's almost in tears. She said, I promise I'm going to pay it back out of my own paycheck. The church shouldn't have to do this. And this is one of those issues. I was just like, ain't that big of a deal. This stuff happens. It's life. Am I happy? No, I'm not thrilled about it. But come on, you don't, you don't need to get all worked up about this. Neither do I. It's just life. When the author of Proverbs says, says that we need to uh, overlook wrongs at certain times, and that's how respect is earned. What he's basically saying is if you're a big boy and a big girl, there are going to be moments that bad things are said about you or something's done to you, and you don't need to be so fragile that every little word or, cons- or inconsiderate action is going to challenge or is going to absolutely shatter you. That's just being childish. So the more things that you and I can learn to ignore in this life, and you know this is true, the happier we'll be. Because things will be coming our way. It'll feel like darts and arrows are being thrown at us. We're just like, eh, not that big of a deal. We're just moving on. But of course, there are moments that we can't just dodge the bullets and we can't just ignore it and we can't just act like something didn't happen. And so we need to learn the power of forgiveness. And so forgiveness at its core is refusing to seek revenge or be consumed by a past injustice. That's what forgiveness is at its very core. Forgiveness says, I'm gonna forgo my right to pay you back. I wanna get even, but I'm gonna give up that right. I wanna destroy your reputation. I wanna hurt you. I wanna be malicious against you, but I'm not going to do it. Now, our desire or our willingness to forgive doesn't mean there aren't consequences. It doesn't mean that the legal system or the justice system shouldn't get involved or other people shouldn't get involved. It just means that I have made the choice to personally not take vengeance into my own hands or hire a hitman to take care of my problems. Because as a follower of Jesus Christ, I've decided to allow God's grace in my life to be the fuel for how I treat other people. Romans chapter 12, we read this. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. When it comes to this whole topic of forgiveness, your responsibility and my responsibility is to do what we can to live at peace with everyone. If there are people in our life who don't want our forgiveness, who reject our forgiveness, who say, I want nothing to do with this, I won't have a conversation with you, I don't want to talk this through, that is not our issue. That is not our problem. Our issue is that we say, I'm going to do my best to not seek revenge or be consumed by a past injustice. Now, at the end of World War II, uh, the city of Berlin, as most of you will know, was divided into West Berlin, uh, which was given to the Allies, and East Berlin that was given to the Russians. Well, as the Berlin Wall was being erected, the people of East Berlin were feeling very, very discouraged. They were feeling powerless uh, towards those in the West. And so they decided to send a message of some kind. And what they did is they got a garbage truck and filled it with lots and lots of garbage. They drove it to the west side of the line and they dumped it all over the place in the middle of the night. 
So the people of West Berlin, they wake up the next day, they see what's happened, they, they put their minds together and they figure out, okay, this came from East Berlin. And so, of course, they figure they need to retaliate. They need to fill up more garbage trucks. And they're coming up with these ideas. And then somebody suggests this idea. Maybe what we do is we find a dump truck and we fill it up, but not with garbage. Let's fill it up with canned goods and non-perishable food items. And then let's deliver it. And that's what they ended up doing. They brought it to the east side of the wall. And then they stacked it up neatly and they left a sign next to it. And it said, each gives what he has to give. And they just left it. What do you have to give to the person who's hurt you? Is it anger? Is it a ruined reputation? Is it damaging words? What do you have to give to the person who has hurt you? And I'm very cognizant of the fact that this is a very complicated topic because there's so many emotions that surface when we talk about forgiveness. And sometimes it's actually hard to know, have I actually forgiven a person? I think I have, but I don't totally know because I still have lots of different emotions that surface in me. And so what I want to do is just give you a list here uh, of signs that show when we haven't forgiven someone. Okay, this first one, is something we can all relate to, brain debates. Okay, these are the debates that we have when we're standing in front of the mirror and we pretend there's a big audience listening to us and we're sitting there talking out loud as though everybody's listening in and we're justifying our actions. They're the imagination or the imaginary conversations we have when we're driving in the car and they're so fun to have, aren't they? Because we're always right and they're always wrong, and everybody agrees with us. I mean, everybody's like, ooh, that was good. Ooh, that was a nice burn. Yes, keep going. And so one of the signs that you haven't forgiven or I haven't forgiven is when we let somebody else live in our head rent-free and we're constantly having our brain debates and ongoing conversations about that issue. A second way for us to know when we haven't forgiven is when we are constantly fantasizing revenge. And we're thinking of ways to get them back, often hoping that they won't even notice we were the ones who paid them back because then maybe we have an opportunity to pay them back again and again and again. There's actually a website that we can go to called mastersofrevenge.com. I wouldn't suggest writing it down. But this is a site with an entire menu of options that you can choose from and you can pay people to write letters and send anonymous texts and make anonymous phone calls and send maliciously doctored photographs or packages with offensive labels to the person who has hurt you. Fantasizing revenge is a sign that we haven't forgiven. A third sign that we haven't forgiven is slanderous comments. Now, obviously, there are times when we've been hurt when we have to go to somebody and we have to open up and we have to say, hey, this is what I'm going through. This is what's been done to me. I need direction. I need wisdom. But often, we know this, often our slanderous words are just a way for us to get even with the other person. Because when I hear people talk well about someone who's hurt me, I feel like it is my God-given responsibility to let them know that person's not who you think they are. That person's not as kind and not as loving and not as generous as you think they are. And so slanderous comments are a symptom that I haven't forgiven. Now, to be clear, how we feel because of our hurt, the anger, 
the jealousy, the embarrassment, how we feel is not an indicator of whether or not we've forgiven someone. And the reason I say that is because you can't control what you feel, but you can control what you do. I can't control my emotions. I can't control the thoughts that come to my mind. I can't control that, but I can control what I do. And often what I do determines how I feel. When you do the right things, your feelings often follow. Not necessarily right away, but often in time they begin to follow. Now the irony of all of this is today, I was working through an issue of bitterness with another individual. And we had brought someone into it and uh, that individual said to me, hey Dave, here's what you need to do. You need to text this other person and you need to apologize. And I said, I would apologize if I think I did wrong. I don't like to apologize when I feel like I'm totally in the right. He said, will you just apologize for how this has gotten out of control? For how this I said, okay, okay, I'm gonna do it. And so I sent a text. I just said, I'm sorry. This has gotten out of control. This should never have gotten to this point. The response back, wow, thank you. That means a lot. Instantly, the emotion that had been going through me started to lift. And now there's this chance for healing in this broken relationship. Now, as I mentioned earlier, this issue of being hurt or offended is not something that's new or unique to our culture. It's not new to our generation because from the beginning of time, people have had to deal with the pain of others who hurt them. In fact, one day Jesus is teaching on this very topic. And one of his disciples, a guy by the name of Peter, apparently has someone that he's thinking of while Jesus is talking. And, and apparently Peter's been hurt by this person over and over and over because he gets to the end of Jesus' dialogue. And he brings him aside and he says, Jesus, I, I need to ask you a question. You're talking about forgiveness. How many times am I supposed to forgive someone who's hurt me? I mean, am I just supposed to let this go on and on and on? We read about this interaction in Matthew 18, then Peter came to him, to Jesus, and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? You know, Peter's trying to be really impressive. Seven times? Should I just go crazy out of my way seven times? And of course, Jesus responds, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. In essence, Jesus says to Peter, you're confused and you are misled about the nature of forgiveness. Because Peter's assumption is that forgiveness is for the benefit of the offender. That forgiveness, in a sense, lets them off the hook. And so Peter says, okay, I'll do my best. I'll stretch, I'll make it easy for them. I'll forgive seven times. You know, if I'm offended, I'll forgive. And if I'm offended by them again, I'll forgive. But I'm gonna draw a long line somewhere. Because Peter, in his heart, is thinking, I'm doing them a favor. And of course, we think the same way. And the reason we think that is because when we're hurt or we're rejected or we experience some sort of pain, in a sense, the person who hurt us becomes a debtor to us. And we feel like they owe us. That's why we say, you owe me an apology. That's why we feel like they owe me a better job because I lost my job because of how they were, right? I'm owed a better life than this. I'm owed a better marriage than this. And at first it seems like Jesus ignores Peter's question because he goes off on this crazy tangent. 
And he tells this story of a guy who owed millions of dollars to another individual and the guy couldn't pay it and it looked like he was gonna be thrown in prison. And at the last minute, the guy who was owed the money says, listen, I'm gonna forgive the debt. You can go free. Go back to your family. I'm not gonna gonna put you in prison. I'm not gonna hold this against you. And the guy goes out after being forgiven millions of dollars. He finds a guy who owes him thousands of dollars. And he says, hey, you owe me some money. And the guy says, listen, I can't repay it right now. I'm in a tough spot in life. But he doesn't show mercy. He has this guy thrown into prison and the guy's life is ruined because of it. And of course, at the end of the story, Peter is just kind of standing there, not even making eye contact with Jesus because he realizes Jesus is trying to teach him a lesson. He's kind of even sorry he brought the subject up. And Jesus summarizes everything he says to Peter in these words. He says, Peter, if you refuse to forgive others, God will refuse to forgive you. Now that's a dramatic statement. And on the surface, it kind of sounds like Jesus is saying, hey, God's going to disown you as this child. But that's not true. We know that when we're forgiven, we're forgiven past, present, and future. Okay, that's a topic all throughout the scripture. But what Jesus is alluding to is, hey, when you refuse to forgive someone, in a sense, there is a brokenness with your heavenly father. There's a distance. And so he's using this extreme illustration to help Peter understand the importance of forgiving people. Because our heavenly father knows that to refuse to forgive is to hit the self-destruct button in our life and to hold on to anger and hurt is only gonna destroy us. And so it's just a matter of time. And it's going to annihilate us. Refusing to forgive, refusing to cut ties, refusing to cancel the debt, regardless of how deep it is, is to chain ourselves to the hurt and drag it into relationship after relationship after relationship. And as insensitive as it may seem, as unrealistic as it may seem, as unrealistic as it may be for Jesus to say, forgive 70 times seven, he knows the power of forgiveness. So in no uncertain terms, he said, you must forgive. And I know we don't think about it this way, but forgiveness is primarily for the benefit of the person who's been hurt. When we forgive, the person who benefits the most is ourselves. I know it's scary to say, I'm gonna do my best to let it go. I'm gonna go down this long and painful journey of trying to figure out how to release this hurt. But we're the ones who are freed. In the late 1800s, there was a guy by the name of Joseph Richardson. He owned this very, very narrow and long piece of property, five feet wide, I want to say a thousand feet long. And he tried to sell it to the neighbor on the adjoining, that adjoined his property because it would make sense to do that. He knew he couldn't do anything with it. The neighbor lowballed offered him, and he was so offended that he said, screw it, I'm going to build a house. So he builds this house, became known as the Spite House. Five feet wide, thousand feet long, Four feet tall, I know it's hard to see, so let's pull up this other picture that kind of, you see how it's, that's it, right there. Right in front of this other piece of property. And it became known as as the Spite House. Another story that unfolded in the late 1800s was two brothers who, their dad passed away. Uh, They were living in Boston, Massachusetts, and when the dad passed away, they inherited some property. Well, one of the brothers decided to build a big house in the property while his brother was serving in the military. So his brother comes home and finds out the majority of the property is taken. And again, to prove a point, 
He builds a wooden house next to his brothers and he blocks the sunlight. That became known as the skinny house and you can still visit this house today. It still exists. The problem with the spite house is we're the ones who live in it. And none of us want that, so we need to learn how to forgive. The problem is forgiveness is rooted in fear, so we need to learn how to walk into that fear. We fear that when we forgive, we're letting them off the hook. We fear that we're gonna get taken advantage of. We fear that it looks like we're gonna lose. We fear that it's gonna look like we can be walked all over. So let me tell you what fear does, forgiveness does not mean. Forgiveness does not mean amnesia. It right, doesn't mean just forgetting everything. Sometimes we buy into this myth that, well, if I'm gonna forgive someone, it means I have to learn how to totally forget what they did. And one of the reasons for that myth is there are verses in the Bible that talk about how God does that with us. In fact, in Jeremiah, we read this, and I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. And so you say, if God does that, we need to do that. The, the fact is, God doesn't forget in regards to, oh, I didn't know what happened. Okay, if that's true, then it means we know something God doesn't. That's problematic. What it's saying is God doesn't choose to throw stuff in our face. Sometimes it's gonna be impossible to forgive. Rape, you aren't gonna forget that. Molestation, abuse, being cheated on, betrayed. I have a friend who for two decades, I'm talking a close friend who for two decades lied to me consistently about something. I just believed them over the course of two decades every time we get in a conversation about it. And when I found out they lied, I'm not gonna forget that. So forgiving is not amnesia. It's also not pretending it never happened. Oh, let's just ignore it. Let's just, let's just not talk about it. Let this be a quiet issue that nobody discusses. Forgiveness doesn't mean trusting again. Right, when somebody wrongs me, I can forgive them. I can choose to not seek revenge, but it doesn't mean they've earned the right to be trusted. If you go through life and I go through life trusting everyone that we meet, the Bible calls us a fool. Proverbs chapter 14, only simpletons believe everything they're told. The prudent carefully considers their steps. When you forgive someone, you need to learn and determine how much you're going to allow that person into your life and at what pace. So having boundaries is a very healthy thing. It doesn't mean we haven't forgiven. It just means we're wise. In some instances, we need activity boundaries. We need to say, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to do that with that person. I'm not going to be involved to that extent in those activities anymore. Sometimes we need communication boundaries. We say, hey, we can talk a whole, about a whole lot of things, but I'm not going to talk about this anymore. This is a boundary I have to put up. We can't go there anymore. Sometimes it's time boundaries. I can be with that person. I can hang with them, but it's going to be for a limited time. And the goal, of course, would be that we eventually remove the boundaries, but that won't always happen. By the way, if you have a friendship with someone who has set up a boundary with you, the best way to work toward healing is to respect that boundary. Another thing forgiveness doesn't mean is removing all the consequences. Right? Our actions have consequences. Just because you forgive someone doesn't mean the consequences are removed. Right? There may be legal consequences. There might be relational consequences. There might be trust consequences. But forgiveness says, I'm not going to retaliate. I'm not gonna seek revenge. So with that in mind, let me ask you, if you can picture someone in your mind that you know you have bitterness and anger toward, are you willing to work toward forgiveness? 
See, for some of us, it's gonna be very, very difficult because our forgiveness has become a part of who we are or our, our anger has become a part of who we are. It's part of our identity, right? Our ability to get other people on our side, our ability to stir people up and get people mad at them, our being the center of attention because of our hurt and the sympathy we gain, man, it's become such a part of who we are. It'd be like a car dealer getting rid of all his cars, Colonel Sanders shaving his beard, right? The identity of who we are, gone. Who would you be without your hatred? Who would you be without your judgment or condemnation? Who would you be without your ability to rally a bunch of people together and get them mad? If you don't deal with your hurt, it's gonna cost you. Now to be clear, forgiveness has a big cost. It costs us emotionally, it costs us mentally, it costs us often relationally, but to not forgive costs us our heart. So forgiveness requires three things. We'll go through these very quickly. Number one, it requires a desire. That's just humility. That's saying, I choose. I choose to let this go. I choose to not retaliate, even though I want to retaliate. Number two, it requires a mirror. It requires us to look at ourselves and acknowledge the wrongs we do for people. See, I can go through life looking through a pair of binoculars, hyper-focused on the flaws of others, or I can go looking through life looking at a mirror. And sometimes when I see the worst things that I've done, I'm reminded about stuff I've done to other people, it gives me a little bit more grace to extend. In the first century, Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesians, and he says this, he says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. One of the most famous prayers in the Bible is from a man who simply prayed, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The moment we stop remembering our own flaws, our own wrongs, and how we've hurt people, it's gonna be hard for us to forgive. And if you say, well, I've looked in a mirror and I've tried to think and I just can't think of a whole lot I've done wrong to others, then ask your spouse. Number three, trust in God. We are never more like God than when we forgive. And forgiveness requires trust. It requires God, I'm doing this out of my obedience to you. I'm doing this because you have called me to forgive as I've been forgiven. So I trust that you know better. I trust that the end of the story is gonna be better because I'm following you. And it's gonna be possible the person we have to forgive doesn't wanna be forgiven, doesn't care. It's possible that they're invisible because they're dead. We'll never get to run into them again. It's possible that they're a monster, someone who did something horrible to us and actually likes the fact that we suffer because of it. I realize it is a long, it is a complicated process. But at the end of the day, the way that you and I find freedom is by learning to forgive. So I challenge you, when a person comes to your mind, when a group of people come to your mind, that you have been seeking revenge and that you have been having these brain debates with, that you would surrender yourself to God and say, Lord, I choose your way over my way. Thank you for listening to the Timberlake Church podcast. Stay connected with us by visiting TimberlakeChurch.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook.